Welcome to the Net Ministries podcast. Welcome to the Net Ministries podcast. I'm Matt Reiswick. I'm Dan Driver. And we work for Net Ministries. At Net, we've noticed that a vast majority of Catholic youth are disconnecting from the church during their teenage years. So to reawaken their faith, we train teams of young adults, and we send them to minister in parishes and schools across the nation. But that's our day job. Our afternoon job is to record a podcast. And Dan, why are we doing that? Well, it's pretty simple. We hope that you as the listener can be challenged by this podcast to love Christ and embrace the life of his church. And today we have a very special guest, Anna Carter. Dan is going to interview Anna. Dan, do you want to set up that interview, talk about it a little bit? So today we'll be talking about Anna's involvement with Eden Invitation, which is a nonprofit organization that she is starting up. Uh, This is from their website. She says, Eden Invitation celebrates ordered integration for young Catholics that are culturally defined as LGBT+. We invite people to encounter an authentically Catholic anthropology and equip disciples for resurrected life in Christ. Great. And now here's the interview with Anna Carter. You're out, you're at some pub or a brewery or something. I mean, Milwaukee has lots of breweries. Um, and go. you're sitting down, you're having a conversation with somebody, and you really connect with them. And then they kind of open up a little bit, and then they hear about this Eden invitation thing. And they say, so what's, what is that all about? What would you say? I would say that we, we want to be a space where Catholics who... Uh, experience same-sex attraction, don't need to feel alone, uh, that they can feel seen, that they can feel supported, um, but also a space that unapologetically and beautifully proclaims the church's teaching um, and just helps to equip for a life of discipleship. You know, it's so important. We have such a diversity of, of experience today um, and it's important to be able to meet people where they are. And as a Catholic, as a Christian, um, who experience the same-sex attraction, I want to make sure that people who experience this, um, who are people of faith, who do desire to follow you know, Christ's words about uh, marriage and, and sexuality, and they desire to follow the teachings of the church, that they'd have a space to do that, and they'd have a space... Um, to, to be understood in their experience, uh, to, to be accepted and supported in their striving. Because uh, no one wants to go through life alone. No one wants to feel uh, pressured one way or another to maybe stay in the closet. Or um, if they really don't want to pursue those sorts of relationships, then they should have a space where they can be supported in that decision. That's awesome. Thanks. Um, so Eden, it's a very biblical image uh, and invitation is 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 a very welcoming uh, thing. Can you t- can you talk about the name a little bit? Why Eden Invitation? Yeah, so it's really fascinating if you look at uh, theology of the body, like the actual discourses, <laughs> the the speeches from John Paul II. Um, at the end of his section on the beginning, right? So he kind of starts off by laying out, like, look, if we want to understand the human person, we need to look at how the human person was made in the beginning. Uh, And it's really fascinating because at the end, 
he mentions how when Jesus is referring back to the beginning um, in Matthew's gospel, he's talking about the nature of marriage and divorce. But John Paul II says that, you know, as uh, it's like, look, no matter what question it is, <laughs> no matter what historical period we're in, he's like, I, I believe Christ would appeal back to the beginning. Like whatever the question is of modern man, we need to go back to, to the beginning, uh, to the intentionality of creation, to the goodness of creation. Uh, and so that's what we want to do. It's not saying to return back to that state. Uh, you know, as we know, theologically, that's impossible. And there's actually a glorified and a, and a resurrected state that we're moving towards. Uh, but those principles hold true. And those principles are foundational. Um, and with invitation, you know, I mean, we live in a culture where there is so many different perspectives. There's so many different views of what it means to, to be a person, uh, to live in this world, to, to be embodied. And we recognize the reality of conscience and, and choice. Uh, and we can't force anyone to, to think this. Um, I mean, as you know, if you're in ministry, you know, like you can't make someone's conversion decision for them. They need to experience that within their own heart. And so what we want to do isn't like an imposition of the church's teaching, but it's saying, hey, that this is it. <laughs> Let, let's present this in its beauty and its authenticity. And we're just going to invite you to listen. God can do the rest. So I see Eden invitation and, you know, there's lots of other um, organizations out there like the Chastity Project or Theology of the Body and Christopher West. There's all of these things. Why not speak for them and incorporate like this message into that? Because it seems like it's very like, lined up with that. So why does there need to be an Eden invitation? You know, I think it's interesting when we have an issue that's really like kind of rearing its head in, in culture. I think there is uh, perhaps more of a need to speak to it in a more targeted and directed way. I, I think we can see that with Matt Frad and, um, you know, his his whole project with with pornography. Um, I mean, even the culture project started out as more targeted to specifically chastity work, mm. right? Um, and, you know, because especially with this topic, right, we have on on the social, on the level of society, there is a community, Right? There is a specific, targeted, communal space for people who same-sex attraction, who experience, connect with the gender of their birth. There is a space for them. Um, and, and I think when, you, when you're growing up, some of those disconnects with the norms of uh, sexual orientation or, or sexual identity you can, you can want that. You want a place. Cause if it's, especially if it's not always being talked about, you want a place where other people are talking about it. And I think if we're not doing that as a church, like if we're not creating a space as a church, then the LGBT community, that narrative is always going to be more compelling. Um, and unless we can provide a compelling, like counter narrative to the LGBTQ community story, then I don't know. It, it just makes it challenging to live with that experience in the church. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how this got started for you? Personally, I've been in ministry for a number of years um, and, you know, kind of felt, you know, as you're working, I was teaching high school, uh, teaching high school theology and, and you're doing ministry, you know, I'm a net alumni and um, you know, there's parts of your own story that you sometimes you wish you could share because you see the power of testimony 
and the power of witness to speak, especially to this generation and to this day and age, right? Um, people want to know other people that have dealt with this. Otherwise, you know, the church's teaching can seem kind of abstract, can seem distant, can seem, quite frankly, unlivable, maybe too ideal. And so to see a witness, you know, it helps. I mean, it's the same reason why we love the communion of saints, you know? It's like, here are human beings who did this. It's possible. Um, and so for myself, I, I have actually experienced same-sex attraction since I was a teenager, you know, but it was something I, I came to Christ and, you know, had a conversion experience and wanted to live in the church before I started like wanting to kiss girls. So, uh, at that point I was already kind of set and in my faith, um, and I experienced a lot of just healing and beauty through the church and through the different ministries that I was blessed to be a part of. Um, and there's a part of you that wants to give back, you know, that wants to give back, that wants to share your story. Um, but for a while, it just didn't seem like the timing was right because um, of just my, my job situation. And But just things have kind of changed up in the last, you know, year, year and a half. And uh, I feel like now is the time to to really just to be speaking about that. I feel like that's a, that's a call on my heart. Um, and I know it's the call on others' hearts as well, um, to say, okay, like, look, culture's a mess. So were you just having this like conversation in one of the many Milwaukee breweries one day, and then you and your, your friend Shannon, um, probably at some point did a light bulb come on and you both just said, why don't we do something about this issue? Like, how did the genesis of this come Actually, it was really similar to what you just oh. described. <laughs> okay. Very similar, actually. So I had experienced, uh, just in my own prayer and discernment, a desire to share more through like speaking and writing uh, and kind of envisioned it as, you know, AnnaCarter.com and here I am sharing my story. And um, I was pitching it to a few different friends and saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And, and just, you know, that early discernment process of any of this kind of any major decision. And at the time, Shannon and I had been friends through the Milwaukee circles. Um, and I just kind of bounced it off of her uh, and her face just went white and at first I thought, I was like, oh, shoot, she doesn't know this about me. Oh, my gosh. Well, lo and behold, it's also part of her story. And it was just super fascinating. It really sparked a lot of conversations about, wait, why we've been friends for like a few years now. Why didn't we know this about each other? Like, how did that, how'd that happen? And for her, she hadn't met a ton of people who um, were still, were in the church and were joyful with this experience. Um and so it just spread a lot of conversations about, okay, well, what was your experience in the church? What was your experience in women's, women's session? Like, okay, how did you receive that? Or how do you interpret like this thing? The more we're talking about it, the more it was like, this is a lot bigger than like AnnaCarter.com, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. This actually might, there's, there's, a, there's a need in the church and is anyone else doing it? I mean, we, we were Googling stuff. We we're like looking up, but I think that the angle that we wanted to come at, we were like, I don't think anyone else is actually doing this. So is it, I mean, it's just you two, right? Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, a lot of support, um, uh, different uh, people that we kind of connect with uh, behind the scenes and different, like uh, just mentor figures and kind of a, a team um, and other people who experience this as well that we've we're kind of bounce things off of. But right now, the two of us are kind of the public face. And and you want to keep it that way, just uh, two people being the public face? You know, that's 
just kind of the reality of where we're at right now, you know? Uh, I think there, there was a desire from the beginning for sure to have a, a guy as well, uh, that complementarity piece. Uh, this isn't just a ministry for women, um, you know, but uh, at, at least at this point, uh, you know, a lot of the, the men that we've been in conversation with just haven't discerned that now that it's the time for them to kind of step out into that. and Because it, it is a risk, you know, it is a risk to share uh, something this this public, you know, it's a risk. It, um, yeah, because you know, what are people gonna say, or how? You know, I'm I'm single right now. Like, I would love to marry a man someday, but that's a lot for a guy to take on, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, I think for people that are discerning vocation or work, maybe they're still in active ministry with minors, and then that's a whole thing with their employer, and and what does that all look like? It unfortunately, I think it's a topic that because. We're not always talking about it super openly. There is a lot of additional baggage when it comes to sharing publicly. What I'm hearing is that there is a desire to have more people be a face one day. Is that is that correct? Absolutely. Wow. Good. Um, okay. So you shared a little bit about you know when you were younger and you you kind of said you knew Jesus and had some kind of formation before, as you put it, wanted to kiss a girl, um, but. I guess I'm really intrigued, just personally really intrigued, um, what makes you, as a person, when you're offered from the world a community and you're offered to follow your own desires of your heart and seek happiness, how you want to just uh, dictate it, what, what makes you say, no, I, I, I don't want that? You know, because I think what I what I want uh, to use to use that word, uh, what I want is to be to be who I am, and who I actually am is um, a daughter of God. Who I am is is a woman, and being a woman, there is a reality that that is that's my identity, right? I'm as woman as daughter of God. And that part of that intentionality and part of that design is that there is a complementarity. That's actually part of my sexual identity. Uh, and that's who I want to be. Like, I want to be who God made me to be. I think within the church, there, there is a wonderful community of, of people who recognize that, like, gosh, we, we don't ha- all, have it all figured out, <laughs> you know? Um, I've been blessed to have, you know, friends and, and, and community that, that is able to walk with me in that space and say, hey, you know what, like, I, I might not struggle in that exact same area, but I, I know what it is to have an unmet longing. Like I know what it is to be figuring out who I am, right? I know what it is to be struggling with femininity, um, and to be able to walk with each other in that space. Um, you know, I think that's, that's the most beautiful community of all that helps you really be who you really are. So tell me sort of long-term, with Eden Invitation, what would you hope to see happen? Um, what could this provide? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think to be able to offer um, not just on you know online resources. I mean, that's the day and age that we live in right now. To be able to access things online that it's it's free, uh, it's at your fingertips. You can you can watch this YouTube video or you can download this resource and you can just use it right. Um, there's such a need for that, for that accessibility. Um, but at the same time, recognizing 
there's only so much like intimacy and encounter that can happen through a computer screen, right? That's also one of the downfalls of our generation and I think subsequent ones. Uh, so to be able to offer retreats and experiences of encounter with Christ, with community, with the beauty of the natural world, um, to be able to um, receive, you know, just again, like the church's teaching receives some equipping um, in, you know, a concerted like time and space. So tell me, um, like what, what teachings of the church is this, what kind of doctrinal elements is this founded upon? Could you flesh that out for our listeners as well? Because you, you mentioned, you know, the, these different things that the church has sort of given and provided. Sure. Yeah. I, um, we really, we base what we're doing on, yeah, like you're saying on the teaching of the church. So, uh, the catechism, uh, I think for the additional documents, it's very heavily uh, rooted in the personalism of John Paul II. So looking at theology of the body, looking at love and responsibility, looking at his different encyclicals. Um, there's also some gems, you know, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith has a pastoral care document on this topic. Uh, the compendium, okay, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the compendium of uh, like that uh, was put out by the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace. Uh, But it's fascinating. It's like Catholic social teaching, and there's like some really good stuff in there about embodiment and the relationships between men and women. And um, so, yeah, very, I mean, this is is doctrine, right, that that we're basing this off of. Um, And the way we want to present it, yeah, Dan, like you mentioned, was uh, kind of with a few different points. So, you know, first emphasizing um, our creation and identity, um, in the image and likeness of God as male and female, and that that is uh, reality in our souls, in our bodies, like the masculine, the feminine, that's that's key to, to God's intentionality and God's design, um, and both uniquely valuable. Um, I think secondly, then, that those uniquely valuable manifestations of the person are complementary. Um, so they, yeah, they both draw out good in one another, both are necessary, Um, And that thirdly, then in that embodiment, uh, that the unification on the physical level um, between the male and the female is sacred, right? Um, And it's meant to unify, it's meant to be life-giving and procreative and and happen within the context of an indissoluble, exclusive union. Um, And so then as such, like... um, a physical expression of, of affection or love or lust or whatever combination that we all struggle with, right? Um, those, uh, those expressions with someone of the same sex is not in accord with, with God's design. Um, however, right, for those of us who experience that, I think it's really important in all areas, really, to ext- distinguish between um, inclination and action, right? Um, so the experience of attraction, the experience of desire for the same sex is not in itself a sin, right? It's not ordered properly according to God's design for creation, but it doesn't make you bad, doesn't make you evil. It just, it's, it's what you do with it that, that really makes a difference. Um, and, uh, and you want to exercise sexuality. We all do, right, in accord with God's plan. Um, and the experience of those desires, now we're at point six, uh, the experience of those desires don't define your identity, right? We are complex beings, um, and it's 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 a part of you, you know. Like I'm not going to say it's not a it's not a fragment of of my experience. Of course it is, but it's not me. It's not the whole of me. Um, 
And then finally, that no matter what our experiences of desire, of attraction, of orientation, right, we are all called to holiness and we're all in this journey together and we should be mutually supporting one another. Oh, that's, that's, I love that. That last point is really key. I mean, you look at the church today, you look at the world today, and one of the marked things about the West is the division, the division of ideals, the division of creeds, the division of um, people's political stances. Um, it's, it's everywhere. You know, even in the local parish, you're going to have different people touting different things and at odds with one another, which is a great shame. Because we, there is a common sort of brotherhood or um, fraternity among all men and women alike. Um, so as a church, if you were going to dream, like, how do you think we could express that care for one another, that solidarity? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is challenging, especially I think um, in, you know, in the United States, we've done this very like targeted form of pastoral ministry to certain groups and certain ages and certain et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, if you don't see a targeted group for you, you feel like you're falling through the cracks. Um, and there's a goodness in it and a beauty. Obviously we're starting a targeted group. Uh, there's a goodness and a beauty to that specificity. However, I think in that we don't, like you're saying the unity piece, I mean, we don't want to lose the fact that, there are similarities are greater than our differences. We don't want to lose the fact that, gosh, like we are all created um, for God. Like we're the desires of our hearts, no matter what they are, no matter how ordered or disordered they are, are directed towards uh, towards God as their fulfillment. And we don't experience that complete fulfillment in this life. And when we experience that gap between the the right now uh, and the not yet. I think that absence can just get twisted in our hearts or we try to fill it up in, in so many different ways. So I think to recognize that, gosh, like we are all striving in this space um, and to just be more, you know, open, I think, and honest within our communities of, gosh, like what, let's, let's be real about, about what, what's going on and, and what we're experiencing um, to be able to, uh, to walk with one another, right? There's not like one area of um, like grave matter that we necessarily should like trump the others as worse or, or whatever, but to recognize, yeah, we're all striving, we're all struggling. So like, let's, let's support each other. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit more about the practicals of that, like fleshing out, you know, if I'm in my parish at home and I have friends that I no, and they, I know them personally, and they have told me and confided in me that they struggle with same-sex attraction. It's shrouded in shame and all different kinds of just fears. They're, they don't really want to reach out to anybody to get help because they do, you know, they, they're afraid. Um, how can we care for one another, especially when there's so much shame wrapped up in it? Yeah, I think the way we receive that, first of all, is key. So if someone is sharing that with you, uh, to recognize it for what it is, which is like a vulnerable opening of, gosh, depending on their story, a wound, you know, or 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 even just something that's, that's challenging, right? If they're sharing that with you, uh, they want someone to know. Um, 
But uh, also to realize that doesn't necessarily mean they're now your newest ministry case. Um, I think because um, there's probably areas of virtue that they have that you don't possess, you know? Um, and so to recognize there's there's a mutuality there, there's a give and take in that friendship. And um, on the one hand, you don't want to treat it as something like really shocking. Um, but you also want to acknowledge the uniqueness of the difficulties, right? The, the challenge of vocational discernment, right? The challenge of, you know, as all your friends start getting married and having kids and you're the lone single person, like the challenge of that loneliness, the challenge, like to be honest and be like, okay, that's, that's a real concern. Um, and I think to not be afraid to ask people what you can do. Like, how, how can I be there for you, right? To ask that person. Because the, the reality is what I would need isn't necessarily the same as what, like, Joe Schmo needs necessarily based on his own st- story, his own background, his own current levels of community, right? Um, so to be unafraid and, and compassionately ask, like, gosh, like, how can I, how can I support you in that? Um, but to continue to, to invite them to make sure that, that friend knows that they belong. They belong with you. They belong in the young adult group. They belong with your family. Like they belong. You know, I think that right now in a church, like this is something where people are beginning to talk more and more about it. And really, you know, coming to the States eight years ago, um, I have seen, you know, the culture shift a lot, even in the past eight years uh, around this whole Mm. topic. Um, same-sex marriage kind of debate started flaring up and I remember you know being in the high school and the high school had a theater uh, show that they were putting on and all the high school start starred in it called the Laramie Project which uh, was about this tragic story of a young man who was essentially beaten and killed because of his sexual, how he identified sexually. Um, And I remember watching the high schoolers like attached to this sort of really, really emotionally. And then from that point on, they rejected um, anything the church had to say on the topic. Um, And people have been trying to like talk about this. Um, But a lot of people, I I still feel a lot of people are in shame and they're silently carrying this because they're afraid of what people might say. So, so if there's someone listening right now, for example, who, uh, has dealt with some kind of, um, uh, I don't know, crisis in their sexual identity. Um, what would you say to them? Like in terms of what advice would you give to them? Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, like there's no cause for shame. Um, I think that's something that the LGBT community actually does really well. And, you know, it's saying, Hey, like we don't need to be ashamed that this is something we feel. Um, and I think it's okay to name that in the church too. Like you don't need to feel ashamed, <laughs> like about something you didn't choose. Like you didn't, you didn't choose to feel this way. Um, and you, um, you know, you don't need to be in hiding. You know, I just think of, you know, the garden of Eden, right. And after, um, you know, Adam and Eve, and, and what do they do? They, they, they want to hide themselves from the gaze of the Father. Um, and, and we don't need to do that. We don't need to do that as church. We don't need to do that as Christians. Um, 
we can come out of, of hiding, right? Come out of that place of shame. Um, I think that's the proper sense of, of that phrase for us as Christians, right? That we can come out of shame into the gaze of the Father, into the support of community, um, and, and to not be afraid. Like, you, we don't need to not talk about this, you know? And if you're wrestling with it, if you're not really sure, you know, what the church teaches, like, don't deal with that in just, like, the darkness and just don't deal with that in your own head, you know, it's okay to bring that out. It's okay to wrestle with that with other people, um, to share your questions, to share your longings. Um, because again, like we're all, we're all on a journey. And I think, um, you can find in that space of Christian community that there are people that are not only willing to listen, but they're also willing to share their own struggles with you, um, and you can start to walk together and you can find that community and you can find that intimacy really that you're longing for, um, uh, you know, in prayer and in the company of others. What would you have to say to the family members that have someone in their family that are in an active homosexual relationship or not living according to the church's teaching on this? You know, I think we need to be, uh, need to be careful not to, uh, again, like put this in another camp. I mean, I could turn the question around and say, well, what would you do if someone in your family was, you know, living with their significant other before marriage and it was opposite sex, you know? Um, I think it's just difficult when we see family members, no matter what it is, it's difficult when we see family members or, or childhood friends who, um, kind of have, have walked away from what we know to be true and what we know to be good. Um, and we're in this, it's definitely a place of tension between, you know, knowing the truth and wanting to share the truth, um, but also recognizing because of that space, sometimes family, I think it's more difficult in those spaces, you know, cause you grew up with them. They're like, Oh, I don't want to hear, I already know what you think. Um, and so I don't need to hear that. Right. Um, so, but we want to share the truth, but we also know it's like, well, this is my family member, you know, that I, I don't want to alienate them, right? Um, and I think one of the biggest things is just to be a witness of your life, of what it means to live the fullness of the church's teaching. Um, so to live, you know, vibrantly in, in your gender, to live vibrantly in your opposite sex relationship, to model what a good marriage is. Um, to show like, hey, like this is... <laughs> There's a reason we hold this up as an ideal, you know, because uh, it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, and so just to kind of give witness to the fullness of the church's teaching, you know, by your own life, um, I don't think you need to be really celebratory either. Like it's okay to, to disagree, right? It's okay to be able to, to sit down across the table from someone and know that you don't agree on something, but you can still love each other anyway. Um, and I, I mean, obviously there's a whole lot of areas that you need to, to navigate at different points practically, um, as you know, a relationship progresses, but I think those would be the key principles, you know, to, to model, um, authentic church teaching in its fullness, um, but also with, with compassion and common sense and confidence to be able to disagree and still love each other. So why is this topic just so difficult for us as a church to talk about? I don't know. You're the, you're the straight guy, Dan. What do you think? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, 
I feel like there's a commonality between humans. I'm a very broken person. I have a broken past and I've had the redemptive work of Christ's work in my life. And I've experienced freedom and grace and truth. And I want other people to experience the same thing. Now, for me, when the topic gets brought up, a lot of the times, um, because I don't have the practical and personal uh, experience of that specific issue, um, it's hard to find the correct words. And then also it's hard to not feel like I might be upsetting somebody or offending someone. So that's why it's difficult for me to talk about it. Um, and yeah, I think it's just so hyper charged on an emotional level that, um, you kind of have to be really careful how you do speak around it around some people. I think for a long time, this was a topic that, you know, it, it wasn't really talked about. It was a little bit taboo. And then you also have like very real grievances against um, people who identify it as LGBT, right? And so then you have this movement socially that's rooted in these issues of justice and fairness and civil rights and uh, rightly so. I mean, there's been real discrimination. I mean, the, the Laramie Project that you referenced, I mean, there has been like real suffering that, that people have experienced. Um, I think we need to acknowledge that, right, as Christians. And we need to acknowledge like, whoa, like this was not always handled the best, the best way. But I think we, um, you know, in, in the face of that, like we, there's this recognition of the suffering and the experience, but then I mean, like, okay, well, 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 wait a minute. Now our teachings seem a little bit harsh in light of this, and I don't know what to say. And then not only that, but you can go online, right? And within 10 minutes, you know, we have access to resources all over the board in their support of the church's teaching, all over the board in what kind of language they're going to be using, and all claiming to be Catholic. And so it, it is confusing, I, would, I think. Right now in the church, it's very confusing to try to sort through it, um, which is, again, why we want to go back to those foundational documents, right? And we're not necessarily, um, you know, looking at, like, tit for tat, like, that person said that, and that person said that, and that person's opinion is this, and this is what we think about that guy's book. But, okay, well, what, did, what does the church say? Uh, what's, what's the teaching historically about the person? How did this come to be formed? Rather than just, you know, trying to go off the latest talking head. And I think, too, with that, like, we do have, even if something's not our, something isn't our experience, I think we do have an obligation to be aware of the church's teaching and to be able to present it with compassion, with truth. Um, you know, that's part of our, not only our baptismal call, but part of our empowerment in confirmation, right, is to be able to know the truths of the faith, to integrate them into our lives, and to share them with other people. It doesn't mean you need to be a, a theologian, necessarily, or that everyone is called to start these ministries and really go out of their way to tell people this or that about the church's teaching. Um, I think it's just so important for all of us, especially now, like especially in the way culture is right now, in the way people's families are, in the way people's friendships are, the way what their kids are going to be hearing in school. Like I just think we just have an obligation right now as Christians living in society to work this out in our heads, like to, to prioritize like 
actually learning more, right? I mean, this is the topic that's leading more people away from the faith than like, is Jesus really present in the Eucharist? You know, I think some of these apologetics things that we can get really like caught up in learning, which obviously is super important. Um, but culturally, I mean, the, the church is bleeding in this area. Um, and, you know, how can we, how can we be there for, for the wounded Christ? You know, how can we be there? Um, you know, just understanding this teaching, understanding the unique sufferings that sometimes go with this teaching and being able to articulate it, you know, because I, I think just saying that it's not our experience, like, well, as a high school teacher, you know, there's plenty of things that weren't my experience that I had to learn how to teach. Why? Because the kids in justice were owed the truth. And so I needed to figure it out. I needed to figure out the best way to explain it because somebody in my life needed to know. Now, so when I was doing ministry in a particular parish, actually the same parish where, you know, they, they did the Laramie project and it was very impactful for the young people. And we saw droves of young people turn away from the church, um, after that production. Um, additionally, some young people came to the church around the same time who directly dealt with this struggle. And in particular, um, I was sort of in this discipleship relationship with one of the young men. Um, and he identified as homosexual. Um, and he was very, you know, he was, he was quite a young man. Um, and we would regularly talk on the church's teaching and we would regularly, um, just go through some really difficult conversations so for me, like I, I've been in the situation where at several different points in my life, this has been kind of close to me, actually pre-conversion times. I, I had been on gay rights marches in England and, um, I get the other side from a certain perspective, but at the same time, there's this sort of narrative that is being told to people, um, from the world and it is shrouded full of lies, um, uh, which people want to believe in so far as they are offering them some goodness and truth in them as well. Like there is the goodness of like being accepted, being loved, um, having a community, not being some kind of modern day leper, um, but being like you're a fellow human and you have your own rights to things in life and um, we're going to stand by you and fight for you. But for me, okay, so I'm just talking like my personal struggle with talking about this really comes to a head sometimes with just the, the confusing language that is used um, about this whole subject, you know, like I am homosexual saying that, for example, is like, it's not the core of who you are. You know, you, you might have this orientation. Um, so language is really, really important, I think. And I don't know the best way to communicate with language, but I do know that, uh, in, we need to find better ways of communicating with language. Could you talk about that a little bit? I, I think my struggle right now with the language question is, 
Like I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a reader. I know that words matter, but I, I just worry that in some circles we're getting so hung up on the language and that's such the focus that it's a bit of a red herring and we miss uh, the person. Like if our main catechesis is just on what words we should use, um, ah, we got to go deeper. You know, we got to go deeper. Um, for myself, I mean, I don't use those words to self-identify for the same reasons you say. You know, it's like, well, that's not that's not who I am. Um, I will, however, in certain like more more secular settings where it's really long, be like, well, I you know experience romantic desire for women, but also sometimes men, and I think you know sometimes it gets a little wordy. So I like, will just say like, well, bisexual, right? Because it's like easier in that context for them to understand what that means. Um, other people might disagree with that, um, but I can always elaborate with them. And I think the lifestyle decisions that I'm making are radical enough <laughs> to offer some kind of witness and testament in that situation. But, but I think it's, it's, it's true. You know, I think for, for some people, especially, you know, coming out of the seventies and eighties, those terms like gay and lesbian, they, they do carry a weight and a connotation of an entire lifestyle. Right. And, um, an entire ideology. Um, I think now that it's, that's getting a bit watered down. Um, you know, if you look at teens that are, you know, maybe tossing around those words, it doesn't necessarily have the full weight. I don't think necessarily of like the gay rights movement, at least in their, you know, 15 year old brain, um, that doesn't even know what like Stonewall Inn is. Um, and, uh, so, so there is that reality. And I think sometimes if we're overemphasizing on the other side, like, well, no, 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 you're not gay. You're same-sex attracted. That could also be alienating for someone that's on that journey. Because sometimes that term can sound a little clinical. Like, I've also heard it as like, oh, they have SSA. Like, I, it's some kind of disease or something, you know? It's like, okay. that's I don't know if that's the best approach either. Um but I think as we consider the people that we have in our life, we consider the people that we're walking with to recognize what terms are they using and why. Because rather than an argument on which term they should use, if we understand why they're using the term, we can speak to that. We can mentor them in that space. And hopefully on their own, they can then maybe have a conversion away from certain terms. So how can people get in contact with you and find you and what kind of resources as well do you have? Yeah. So right now the easiest way is online. So www.edeninvitation.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so you can find us there. Um, you can also like drop us a line, like uh, via Facebook message, uh, via email, um, and we're mostly good at responding to those mostly promptly. Uh, so questions or, you know, if people reaching out with this being their experience and, um, and you know, engaging a little bit with, with those individuals. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're happy to chat. We're happy to dialogue um, if you, if you want to reach out. And what kind of resources do you have available currently? You know, right now there's a lot that are in process, um, but you can find uh, we've got a blog. Um, we have recently, uh, got some YouTube videos. So we got a few of those out. We have, uh, Shannon's witness story is, is available online. Um, 
And uh, we also, in January, uh, started doing um, an online like book club for people who this is their experience and, and just want to talk about uh, talk about ideas and life um, with other people who kind of get it. So coming together around, um, yeah, around just something bigger than ourselves, but that still relates to our experience. All right, welcome back. Now it's time for our second segment of the podcast. This is the part of the podcast where Dan and I give out our recommendations to you, the listeners, something that we think is worth passing on. Dan, you want to go first? Yeah, I'm really excited about this one. It's another book. I That seems to be a theme of what I've been recommending is books and things that you can read. Uh, but this one is almost like, it's so good. I don't want to overemphasize how good it is, so I'm not going to push this too much. But um, it's called The Manual for Spiritual Warfare. The Manual for Spiritual Warfare. And it's put out by Tan Publishers, T-A-N. And essentially, it takes you through what is authentic spiritual warfare. And then it compiles quotes from saints, doctors of the church, um, liturgies, prayers, catechisms, documents, all of the good stuff that will teach you and equip you for authentic spiritual warfare. It's a small manual. It's pocket-sized. It's got a nice little like leather background. It's about 20 bucks. Or yeah, something. I've got to say, just I know the listeners can't see this, but... It's a great looking book. It is awesome. Like it's very, it's very masculine. Uh, looks like you have good taste. It has very good aesthetic with it. But just because it's masculine doesn't mean that our feminine audience wouldn't like it. Because I think that there's just a lot of good stuff in here. And there's uh, lots of really good quotes. I'm gonna do a random quote. This could work terribly. Okay, so I'm gonna flick through it, try and find the same quote. Okay, so this is from Saint Minarad. Who's ever heard of St. Minorad? I haven't. <laughs> um, anyway, this is about this person's life. St. Minorad withdrew into the mountains to live the solitary life as a Benedictine monk. Evil spirits often attacked him, attempting to undermine his virtue, but the saint turned to his guardian angel for help. Each time the demons assaulted him, he reported his holy angel stood at his side, lovingly encouraging him and aiding him in the battle. Like, this is so good! I can promise that Dan didn't bookmark that. He really did just flip to a random this page. This is so good! Guardian uh, angels all the way, my man! I think you sold me. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to recommend a, a website, a resource. Uh, it's called projectym.com. You, you may have heard of them. Project YM is a resource for uh, people working in Catholic ministry. On top of that, they have a great blog, a great-looking blog, uh, a lot of great content. You may, yeah, you may have heard of them. They're the ones who developed the Catholic beard balm. Um, but even more than that, uh, I got to spend a little bit of time a couple months ago with the founders of Project YM, and you could tell they just had such a great heart for ministry and for really reaching young people in new and innovative ways. And they just really impressed me. So I'd highly recommend go check out projectym.com. I want to affirm that they're awesome. I got a chance to meet um, some of them as well, and I was just so impressed with the work they're doing. Great. Well, thanks so much for listening to the episode today. 
Uh, again, if you liked this episode, we'd love to have you leave us a review on iTunes. A five-star review. And if you didn't like it, uh, we'd encourage you to keep listening. Maybe we'll grow on you. Um, and we would welcome any feedback you might have for us on topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show or anything else out there. You can email us podcast at netusa.org. That's podcast at netusa.org. Again, thanks so much. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Net Ministries podcast. Check out our show notes and more at netusa.org slash podcast. You can email us at podcast at netusa.org.